This year, Peloton is gifting you their best offer of the season. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Shop from a variety of accessories such as cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, and more. Whether you have 10 minutes to spare for a strength class or 30 minutes for a running or cycling class, there's a workout that works for you with music that is truly iconic. So don't miss out on Peloton's best offer of the season. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Hi, my name is Zach, and together with Wikipedia, I'll help you fall asleep. Get cozy and relax. I'll read out loud to you. Today, Pablo Escobar, the most famous drug lord of all time. Pablo Emilio Escobar Gaviria was a Colombian drug lord and narco-terrorist who was the founder and sole leader of the Medellin cartel. Dubbed the king of cocaine, Escobar is the wealthiest criminal in history, having amassed an estimated net worth of 30 billion US dollars by the time of his death, equivalent to 64 billion dollars as of 2021 while his drug cartel monopolized the cocaine trade into the United States in the 1980s and early 1990s. Born in Rio Negro and raised in Medellin, Escobar studied briefly at Universidad Autónoma Latinoamericana ES of Medellin, but left without graduating. He instead began engaging in criminal activity, selling illegal cigarettes and fake lottery tickets as well as participating in motor vehicle theft. In the early 1970s, he began to work for various drug smugglers, often kidnapping and holding people for ransom. In 1976, Escobar founded the Medellin Cartel, which distributed powder cocaine and established the first smuggling routes into the United States. Escobar's infiltration into the U.S. created exponential demand for cocaine, and by the 1980s, it was estimated Escobar led monthly shipments of 70 to 80 tons of cocaine into the country from Colombia. As a result, he quickly became one of the richest people in the world, but constantly battled rival cartels domestically and abroad, leading to massacres and the murders of police officers, judges, locals, and prominent politicians, making Colombia the murder capital of the world. In the 1982 Colombian parliamentary election, Escobar was elected as an alternate member of the Chamber of Representatives as part of the liberal alternative movement. Through this, he was responsible for community projects such as the construction of houses and football fields, which gained him popularity among the locals of the towns that he frequented. However, Escobar's political ambitions were thwarted by the Colombian and US governments, who routinely pushed for his arrest, with Escobar widely believed to have orchestrated the DAS building and Avianca Flight 203 bombings in retaliation. In 1991, Escobar surrendered to authorities, 
and was sentenced to five years' imprisonment on a host of charges, but struck a deal of no extradition with Colombian President César Gaviria, with the ability of being housed in his own self-built prison, La Catedral. In 1992, Escobar escaped and went into hiding when authorities attempted to move him to a more standard holding facility, leading to a nationwide manhunt. As a result, the Medellin cartel crumbled, and in 1993, Escobar was killed in his hometown by Colombian National Police a day after his 44th birthday. Escobar's legacy remains controversial. While many denounce the hyenas nature of his crimes, he was seen as a Robin Hood-like figure for many in Colombia, as he provided many amenities to the poor. His killing was mourned and his funeral attended by over 25,000 people. Additionally, his private estate, Hacienda Napoles, has been transformed into a theme park. His life has also served as inspiration for or has been dramatized widely in film, television and in music. Early Life Pablo Emilio Escobar Gaviria was born on the 1st of December 1949 in Rio Negro in the Antioquia Department of Colombia. He was the third of seven children of the farmer Abel de Jesus Dari Escobar Echeverri and his wife Hermida de los Dolores Gaviria Berrio, an elementary school teacher. Raised in the nearby city of Medellin, Escobar is thought to have begun his criminal career as a teenager, allegedly stealing gravestones and sanding them down for resale to local smugglers. His brother, Roberto Escobar, denies this, instead claiming that the gravestones came from cemetery owners whose clients had stopped paying for site care and that he had a relative who had a monument's business. Escobar's son, Sebastián Marroquín, claims his father's foray into crime began with a successful practice of selling counterfeit high school diplomas, generally counterfeiting those awarded by the Universidad Autónoma Latoamericana of Medellín. Escobar studied at the university for a short period, but left without obtaining a degree. Escobar eventually became involved in many criminal activities with Oscar Benel Aguirre, with the duo running petty street scams, selling contraband cigarettes, fake lottery tickets, and stealing cars. In the early 1970s, Prior to entering the drug trade, Escobar acted as a thief and bodyguard, allegedly earning 100,000 US dollars by kidnapping and holding a Medellin executive for ransom. Escobar began working for Alvaro Prieto, a contraband smuggler who operated around Medellin, aiming to fulfill a childhood ambition to have 1 million Colombian dollars by the time he was 22. He is known to have had a bank deposit of 100 million Colombian dollars when he turned 26. Cocaine Distribution In The Accountant's Story, Roberto Escobar discusses how Pablo rose from middle-class simplicity and obscurity to one of the world's wealthiest men. Beginning in 1975, Pablo started developing his cocaine operation, flying out planes several times, mainly between Colombia and Panama, along smuggling routes into the United States. 
When he later bought 15 bigger airplanes, including a Learjet and six helicopters, a close friend of Pablo's died during the landing of an airplane, along with the plane being destroyed, according to his son. Pablo reconstructed the airplane from the scrap parts that were left and later hung it above the gate to his ranch at Hacienda Napoles. In May 1976, Escobar and several of his men were arrested and found in possession of 18 kilograms of white paste, attempting to return to Medellin with a heavy load from Ecuador. Initially, Pablo tried to bribe the Medellin judges who were forming a case against him and was unsuccessful. After many months of legal wrangling, he ordered the murder of the two arresting officers and the case was later dropped. Roberto Escobar details this as the point where Pablo began his pattern of dealing with the authorities through either bribery or murder. Rise to Prominence Soon, the demand for cocaine greatly increased in the United States, which led to Escobar organizing more smuggling shipments, routes and distribution networks in South Florida, California, Puerto Rico and other parts of the country. He and cartel co-founder Carlos Leda worked together to develop a new transshipment point in the Bahamas, an island called Norman's Cay, about 350 kilometers southeast of the Florida coast. According to his brother, Escobar did not purchase Norman's Cay. It was instead a sole venture of Leda's. Escobar and Robert Vesco purchased most of the land on the island, which included a one-kilometer airstrip, a harbor, a hotel, houses, boats and aircraft, and they built a refrigerated warehouse to store the cocaine. From 1978 to 1982, this was used as a central smuggling route for the Medellin cartel. With the enormous profits generated by this route, Escobar was soon able to purchase 20 square kilometers of land in Antioquia for several million dollars, on which he built the Hacienda Napoles. The luxury house he created contained a zoo, a lake, a sculpture garden, a private bullring, and other diversions for his family and the cartel. Established Drug Network in 1982, Escobar was elected as an alternate member of the Chamber of Representatives of Colombia as part of a small movement called Liberal Alternative. Earlier in the campaign, he was a candidate for the Liberal Renewal Movement, but had to leave it because of the firm opposition of Luis Carlos Galán, whose presidential campaign was supported by the Liberal Renewal Movement. Escobar was the official representative of the Colombian government the swearing-in of Felipe González in Spain. Escobar became quickly known internationally as his drug network gained notoriety. The Medellin cartel controlled a large portion of the drugs that entered the United States, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela and Spain. The production process was also altered, with coca from Bolivia and Peru replacing the coca from Colombia which was beginning to be seen as substandard quality than the coca from the neighbouring countries. As demand for more and better cocaine increased, Escobar began working with Roberto Suarez Gomez, helping to further the product to other countries in the Americas and Europe, 
as well as being rumoured to reach as far as Asia. Escobar at the height of his power During the height of its operations, the Medellin cartel brought in more than 70 million US dollars per day. This level of income is roughly $26 billion per annum. Smuggling 15 tons of cocaine per day into the United States, the cartel spent over 1,000 US dollars per week purchasing rubber bands to wrap the stacks of cash they received, storing most of it in their warehouses. 10% of the cash had to be written off per year because of spoilage due to rats creeping in and nibbling on the bills they could reach. When questioned about the essence of the cocaine business, Escobar replied with, The business is simple. You bribe someone here, you bribe someone there, and you pay a friendly banker to help you bring the money back. In 1989, Forbes magazine estimated Escobar to be one of 227 billionaires in the world, asserting that he had a personal net worth of approaching 3 billion US dollars while his Medellin cartel controlled 80% of the global cocaine market. It is commonly believed that Escobar was the principal financier behind Medellin's Atletico Nacional, which won South America's most prestigious football tournament, the Copa Libertadores, in 1989. While seen as an enemy of the United States and Colombian governments, Escobar was a hero to many in Medellin, especially to the poor. He was a natural at public relations, and he worked to create goodwill among the poor of Colombia. A lifelong sports fan, he was credited with building football fields and multi-sports courts, as well as sponsoring children's football teams. Escobar was also responsible for the construction of houses and football fields in Western Colombia, which gained him popularity among the poor. He worked hard to cultivate his Robin Hood image and frequently distributed money through housing projects and other civic activities, which gained him notable popularity among the locals of the towns that he frequented. Some people from Medellin often helped Escobar avoid police capture by serving as lookouts, hiding information from authorities, or doing whatever else they could to protect him. At the height of his power, drug traffickers from Medellin and other areas were handing over between 20% and 35% of their Colombian cocaine-related profits to Escobar, as he was the one who shipped the cocaine successfully to the United States. The Colombian cartel's continuing struggles to maintain supremacy resulted in Colombia quickly becoming the world's murder capital, with 25,100 violent deaths in 1991 and 27,100 in 1992. This increased murder rate was fueled by Escobar giving money to his hitmen as a reward for killing police officers, over 600 of whom died as a result. La Catedral Prison After the assassination of Luis Carlos Galán, the administration of César Gaviria moved against Escobar and the drug cartels. Eventually, the government negotiated with Escobar and convinced him to surrender and cease all criminal activity in exchange for a reduced sentence and preferential treatment during his captivity. 
Declaring an end to a series of previous violent acts meant to pressure authorities and public opinion, Escobar surrendered to Colombian authorities in 1991. Before he gave himself up, the extradition of Colombian citizens to the United States had been prohibited by the newly approved Colombian Constitution of 1991. This act was controversial, as it was suspected that Escobar and other drug lords had influenced members of the Constituent Assembly in passing the law. Escobar was confined in what became his own luxurious private prison, La Catedral, which featured a football pitch, a giant dollhouse, a bar, a jacuzzi and a waterfall. Accounts of Escobar's continued criminal activities while in prison began to surface in the media, which prompted the government to attempt to move him to a more conventional jail on July 22, 1992. Escobar's influence allowed him to discover the plan in advance and make a successful escape, spending the remainder of his life evading the police. Search Block and Los Pepes Following Escobar's escape, the United States Joint Special Operations Command and Central Spike joined the manhunt for Escobar. They trained and advised a special Colombian police task force known as the Search Block, which had been created to locate Escobar. Later, as the conflict between Escobar and the governments of the United States and Colombia dragged on, and as the numbers of Escobar's enemies grew, a vigilante group known as Los Pepes was formed. The group was financed by his rivals and former associates, including the Cali Cartel and right-wing paramilitaries led by Carlos Castaño, who would later fund the peasant self-defense forces of Córdoba and Uraba. Los Pepes carried out a bloody campaign, fueled by vengeance, in which more than 300 of Escobar's associates, his lawyer and relatives were killed and a large amount of the Medellin cartel's property was destroyed. Members of the search bloc, as well as Colombian and United States intelligence agencies, either colluded with Los Pepes or moonlighted as both the search bloc and Los Pepes simultaneously in their efforts to find Escobar. This coordination was allegedly conducted mainly through the sharing of intelligence to allow Los Pepes to bring down Escobar and his few remaining allies. But there are reports that some individual search bloc members directly participated in missions of Los Pepes death squads. One of the leaders of Los Pepes was Diego Murillo Bejarano, a former Medellin cartel associate who became a rival drug kingpin and eventually emerged as a leader of one of the most powerful factions within the self-defense of Colombia. Death. Sixteen months after his escape from La Catedral, Pablo Escobar died in a shootout on the 2nd of December 1993, amid another of his attempts to elude the search block. A Colombian electronic surveillance team, led by Brigadier Hugo Martinez, used radio trilateration technology to track his cell phone transmissions and found him hiding in Los Olivos a middle-class barrio in Medellin. The search block of eight men raided the house by blowing the door open and pursuing him as he ran to the roof and tried to escape them, as well as engaging in a firefight with Escobar and his bodyguard 
Alvaro de Jesus Agudelo, which ensued. The two fugitives attempted to escape by running across the roofs of adjoining houses to reach a back street, but both were shot and killed by Colombian National Police. Escobar suffered gunshots to the leg and torso, and a fatal gunshot through the ear. It has never been proven who actually fired the final shot into his ear, nor has it been determined whether this shot was made during the gunfight or as part of a possible execution, with wide speculation remaining regarding the subject. Some of Escobar's relatives believed that he committed suicide. His two brothers, Roberto Escobar and Fernando Sanchez Arellano, believe that he shot himself through the ear. In a statement regarding the topic, the Jewish stated that Pablo had committed suicide. He did not get killed. During all the years they went after him, he would say to me every day that if he was really cornered without a way out, he would shoot himself through the ear. Hey, still awake? If you like this podcast, please hit subscribe and leave a rating in your podcast app. The podcast is available under Creative Commons Attribution. This podcast is produced and edited by Shonline Media. Read by me, Zach.